Welcome. Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is Pete Mamoni. I'm here with John, Michael, and Andrew. Mancast, this is your weekly adventure into the wild masculine spirituality where we will be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and backpack, grab your compass and map, and let's get rolling. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, help us pray well, help us speak what you have us to speak tonight, and to communicate well. Please bless our families, bless uh, everyone that gets to partake in this podcast tonight. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey. Good evening. <laughs> so we're going to start out with uh, evening prayer, Thursday evening prayer of Advent. Uh, which one of us is starting this? I am. All right. Michael, go. God comes to my assistance. The Lord, make Lord haste to help me. Us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Let your holy people rejoice, O Lord, as they enter into your dwelling place. O Lord, remember David and all your many hardships he endured, the oath he swore to the Lord, his vow to the strong one of Jacob. I will not enter the house where I live, nor go to the bed where I rest. I will give no sleep to my eyes, to my eyelids. I will give no slumber till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the strong one of Jacob. Andrew. Or oh, it's me. Oh, never mind. <laughs> At Ephrathah, we heard of the ark. We found it in the plains of Urim. Let us go to the place of his dwelling. Let us go to kneel at his footstool. Go up, Lord, to the place of your rest, you and the ark of your strength. Your priests shall be clothed with holiness. Your faithful shall ring out their joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let, Let your, your holy people rejoice, O Lord, as they enter into your dwelling place. Sorry. The Lord has chosen Zion as his sanctuary. The Lord swore an oath to David. He will not go back on his word. A son, the fruit of your body... Why set upon your throne? If they keep my covenant and truth and my laws that I have taught them, their sons also shall rule on your throne from age to age. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever. Here I have chosen to live. I will greatly bless her her produce i will fill her poor with bread i will clothe her priests with salvation and her faithful shall ring out their joy there david's stock will flower i will prepare a lamp for my anointed i will cover his enemies with shame that on him my crown shall shine glory to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now it will be forever amen the Lord has chosen Zion as his sanctuary. The Father has given Christ all power, honor, and, kin and kingship. All people will obey him. We praise you, the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. You have assumed your great power. You have begun your reign. 
The nations have raged in anger, but then came your day of wrath and the moment to judge the dead, the time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the holy ones who revere you, the great and the small alike. Now have salvation and power come, the reign of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who night and day accused them before God. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Love for life did not deter them from death. So rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Father has given Christ all power, honor, and kingship. All people will obey him. Be patient, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer awaits the precious yield of the soil. He looks forward to it patiently while the soil receives the winter and spring rains. You too must be patient. Study your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. See the judge stands at the gate. Come and set us free, Lord God of power and might. Come and set us, set us free, free Lord, Lord God of power and might. Let your face shine upon us and we shall be saved. Lord, Lord God of power, power and, might. and might. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Come and set, set us, us free, free, Lord God, Lord God of, power of power and might. And might. All you who love Jerusalem, rejoice with her forever. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was, it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All you who love Jerusalem, rejoice with her forever. To Christ, the great light promised by the prophets, to those who live in the shadow of death, let us raise our voices in prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Word of God, in the beginning you created all things in the fullness of time, Assumed our nature. Come until the True light shining on mankind. Come and dispel our, our darkness. Only begotten Son dwelling in the Father's heart. Come and tell us of God's loving kindness. kindness. Christ Jesus, you come among us as the Son of Man. Transform those who know you into the sons of God. You welcome all who call upon you in need. Bring into your wedding feast those who beg at the door. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, our sins bring us unhappiness. Hear our prayer for courage and strength. May the coming of your Son bring us the joy of salvation. 
We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. So uh, tonight, men, we're going to talk about uh, Simon Sinek, and uh, like to say hello to Vince Brewster coming watching us from down there in the Nashville diocese area. So good to see you again, Vince. And got a couple other folks there with us. But tonight we're going to talk about Simon Sinek. So those of you who haven't heard of him, uh, he's a, a leadership consultant. I, I kind of think of him as like a, would it be correct to say a millennial leadership consultant? Or an X or a Gen Xer <clears throat> leadership consultant. I'm not quite sure his age. But I'm going to say he's a millennial leadership consultant. And uh, so through the years, you know, I've I've been a student of leadership, going back to gosh, early on, like Tom Peters and uh, Bob Waterman when they wrote uh, In Search of Excellence, and then of course uh, we've gone talked about. Uh, Covey and Peter Singy, those guys came around in around the 1990, and uh, and then later on, like in uh, early 90s, I ran into this guy named Jack Welch, who was the chairman of GE, and kind of kind of fell for him too, right? So what's kind of interesting, we'll kind of talk about that because Simon Sinek doesn't care a lot for Jack Welch. When you get into one of his books, he, he doesn't have good things to say about Jack Welch, but we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, Jack Welch, he was credited for uh, turning General Electric around, right? They were yeah, uh, they right were in the wrong direction. In that time. Yeah, I mean, it was like a big bureaucratic doughboy, do right? Didn't uh, you know that they, they used to say that uh, uh, in GE, when somebody would walk into your office, you know, it was just filled with middle managers of all sorts, right? And somebody would walk into your office and they would be staring up at the ceiling. Everybody would stare up at the ceiling when they'd walk into somebody else's office. Hmm. And the reason they were doing that is they were counting the ceiling tile and then figuring out how many square feet you had in your office. And that would tell them whether you were up or you were below or above them in the bureaucracy. It's <laughs> <That's> interesting. <laughs> So, yeah, Jack Welch kind of came in and took a sledgehammer to that kind of thing. But, uh, mm. but uh, yeah, so as, as the years went by, uh, and this goes back before Jordan Peterson, uh, I think there was a priest I was working with, and uh, he discovered Simon Sinek before I did. And he got talking about him, and then I started studying him um, especially in this, this concept of begin with why. And uh, what does that, you know, that, the, that whole concept of begin with why. And, the, and I think uh, another part of that is called the golden circle. There's part of that begin with why concept that includes this concept of the golden circle. And uh, so, so the, the way I remember this is, uh, uh, when I when I watched say the 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 cynic TED talk on Begin with Why, because I never read the book Begin with Why. I guess there was a book with it, but I just watched it on his TED talk and uh, saw some videos. And uh, he talked a lot about how the uh, and what I was taken by. He was kind of talking about how the brain was structured and how business is structured. So this was kind of interesting. He's actually kind of talking about neuroscience. And so I was kind of intrigued with that. I thought that was pretty cool stuff. And he was talking about how, like, you know, we have a, our cerebral cortex, which is kind of the newest part, our, our newer evolutionary part of our brain, which deals with, you know, the things we see and we deal with every day and we, you know, the, the problems we solve and everything. But then in these deeper limbic areas of our brain where it's, it's uh, language doesn't exist there, but there's intense feelings or intuitions or something. And uh, 
the um, what's really interesting about that is then he he talked about he put that in business terms. He says what was happening, the really good businesses were accessing that limbic area. So he kind of he made a uh, comparison like with with uh, he talked about, let's say if you look at an, an automobile company, like uh, if you look at uh, Ford or GM or some of those traditional uh, automobile companies, you might ask them, well, what is it you guys do? And the answer would be, well, we make trucks. You know, we make Ford trucks. So the first question is, what do you do? Well, we make Ford trucks. And then the second layer of that question is like, well, how do you do it? And their answer might be, well, we use Six Sigma type processes and we do them really well. We make trucks and we do it really well. And then, but there's a deeper question if you would pursue that question, well, why do you do it? Yeah. And that's sort of, that's drilling down into that lumbic area where it's almost <laughs> like somebody might say, I don't even understand why you're asking me that question. You know, so what I mean, and then so the answer kind of becomes well, if you don't really know why you're doing something, you can't define it, then more than likely, in a case of a business, you're just doing it to make money, or that would be the default position. Well, we do it to make for the to, to maximize shareholder value, which means make money. And uh, Cynic would say. That's really lame. You know, that's, that's just not getting it. That's not very inspiring. And, and then he, he talked about, and all I want to say hello to James Barlow, one of our brothers up there. And uh, James. So good to, good to see you again, James. But uh, anyway, um, he talked a little bit about Apple. So Apple was a very unusual company. And so he compared them to like, let's say Dell computer versus Apple. And the, he, if you, if you looked at Dell computer and you asked them, well, what is it you do? They'd say, we make computers. And you could say, well, how do you do it? Well, we use these six Sigma really high quality processes. And then it's like, well, why do you do it? And the answer might come back, well, people need computers, so we make computers, right? So we can make money and and increase shareholder value. And what Apple did is, if you think about this, they said, if you ask Apple, what do you do? And they said, oh, we're in the business of helping you to live the most creative life that you can possibly live. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, okay, wow, they're drilling down in, right? It's like, wow, I'm getting goosebumps saying that to myself, like right here. And I'm not really all that inspired by computers, right? But the fact that they're reaching way down inside of you into that, into that limbic area where the meaning of our lives hides down there or, or is, you know, it's, it's, it's down in there. And uh, so that that's what Apple was doing. They were, and then they say, yeah, we, we're in the business of helping you live the most creative possible life that you can have. Yeah. We happen to sell computers and we happen to sell phones. Would you like to buy one for us? Cause that's what we make those for is for you. So that you can be the best that you can be. Well, I think that's what, that's what, you know, not to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but that's, I think that's what made jobs, Steve jobs, such an important part of the Apple story. Right. It was like, he was this, this mastermind of marketing. And, uh, but not only that, he knew how to effectively run a business and create products that, you know, that people, people ultimately wanted. Um, but he did, he did an amazing job of connecting. It wasn't just about the product. It wasn't just about selling the product. It was about creating that emotional connection to the product. And you see a lot of, a lot of companies now trying to replicate that. Right. And, and I think maybe that plays a part in, into their why, like why, why do we create these products? <clears throat> Um, it's not just about driving more shareholder value. Um, that, that's one element of it. Um, I think mo a lot of companies that, that tend to, I think, stand the test of time tend to have more than just that as a, as a, as a reason why. 
they do something or why they they produce a particular set of products well yeah I mean, I think you see uh, that's happened a lot in the this, this social justice realm, right? We have a lot of that going on. Like, oh, Coke is like, you know, we, you know, we're all about everybody doing their own thing. And we happen to sell Coke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so why not celebrate whoever you happen to be or think you are, um, you know, with the Coke, you know, you know, basically, right? So, I mean, I think they're all kind of tapping into that, that market piece of, identity politics you know it's like yeah yeah that's my tribe my tribe drinks coke yeah yeah my tribe drives uh we all drive um what's the uh what's the vehicle uh teslas teslas are uh, <laughs> uh you know the one uh, uh, low blow john <laughs> <laughs> the, well none uh, of us are driving a tesla but <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking of the um What's the one that's made here in Ohio or Indiana? Um, Honda, Toyota, Ford. No, we always <laughs> we always think of all the granola people. Always, you know, um, you're gonna know when I say it. Volkswagen, Audi, Volvo. I can see it. I can't. I can't. I can't even. It'll come to me. Yeah, it's okay. But you know what I mean. There's things like people just like, oh, I'm a. You know, but it's it's this tribalism, right? It's this getting tapping into, you know, oh, this car means more than that, and this this car, you know, this 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 company gives money to that, and I think everybody kind of taps it at to some degree, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. I think there's um, like even you know even being an employee of some of these companies, there is this idea that we need to. We need to be more emotionally connected to, you know, the business that we work for. Um, and so there's all these initiatives to, um, you know, to, I guess, I don't know, like reinforce some of these, some of these different um, ideological perspectives. Um, and so I, I, and I think, again, closely tied to that, why? Like they connect it to, this is why we're in business, right? We're in business to support um you know these different things that our our employees or associates care about um and so I, i've seen it in, in a number of, of different companies like they'll they'll allow uh, associates to like submit a request for um for like a, like a 501c3 like something that they feel passionate about that they want the organization to give money towards um and the, you know at the end of the day the effort there is to is to connect the associates to um you know, to the why of the business, like we're in business to support these types of organizations. And I think you, you see it even on, on that front as well, not just on the, the customer front, but even even those that work within a company. Yeah, I think it goes both ways, though, with that. You know what I mean? Like there's certain companies I'll literally I'll go out of my way to not support. You know, I think you guys, too. It's like like uh, any company that supports abortion in particularly, I just steer clear from as as far as i can even though starbucks does have some good coffee i said it on the man cast i won't buy it you know <laughs> sorry, sorry, I canceled. Hey, you, know, you, know, canceled. you know who's got better coffee the well in lancaster there you that's go. right dude a big shout out to the well in lancaster the, the one of the best places you can go make their own you know they got their own organic coffee coming from all around the world and they're roasting it right there they also don't kill babies. They want you yeah. to have the best possible life <laughs> that you can have, and that's why they're in business. Right? Yeah, we have a well. We have a well here in India, uh, Fishers, as well. It's it's not. I'm sure it's not connected. Yeah, these folks are. There's just a small, a small no, family <clears throat> here in Lancaster. That's it. Yeah. Well, we have. I, yeah, because they only have like uh, they got three or four shops, right? And I think I thought we had one. It was. Because they all get their stuff too from over, and they sponsor yeah. all this stuff overseas. It's kind of got kind of a Christian base to it, right? It does. So that's interesting. I'll have to ask uh, Adam about that. Maybe when you're down there tomorrow, you can ask him, Andrew. <laughs> Are you associated with any other larger? I'm I'm pretty sure they're not, but that's kind of an interesting. Yeah, as, as far as I knew, that was the only location. But yeah, you know, maybe yeah. somebody's trying to steal his ideas. Yeah. <laughs> So, so getting back to cynic about this, you know, it's kind of funny because you guys are talking about how, well, that became the marketing thing, right? But it sort of falls short and feels stale to me, right? The mm -hmm. fact that 
in jobs in his own way. I think he really was a creative genius. He was more than a marketing genius. He was really about, I want to make stuff. I want to make really cool stuff that people are really going to, I think he was really that kind of guy. He just was enjoying creating and, and it was really enjoyable <laughs> creating stuff that people were really getting into. Right. I mean, really it was a, was a big, uh, help in their lives to to be creative and uh so anyway this this whole idea if you think about these concentric circles that uh that cynic talked about so you know the outside circle inside that right inside the outside circle it's like what do you do then there's that next inside circle that is like how do you do it yeah Right. And then the, then inside of the circle, which is, that's, is like, why do you do it? That's the start with why. So, and then, and then the brain structure is similar. It's like the cerebral cortex and then down inside the limbic center, which is where the why is coming from. What's kind of interesting about that when I was first introduced to this concept, talking with this one priest, we were talking about wilderness outreach and a lot of different things. We get kind of excited about some idea someplace we were going to go and there was a point in time where have you ever gotten excited about something where you can't find the words you're you're feeling like yeah i'm really excited about this concept but the words aren't coming to me and that happened to me once with him and he said that's the golden circle because you're down inside of your the area where it's before you can get to language your your cortex your hasn't described your feeling yet still need to formulate the words to uh to describe it right which is kind of so that's pretty that's kind of neat stuff right there's a deep connection there to meaning so when we were so we took this concept out to the sierra nevada out to uh where andrew's going to come with us this this next summer maybe we'll see if i can get him out to the sierra nevada where mike's been before and but we we went up in there we we were working with a bunch of seminarians and we were talking about cynics concepts and i got thinking about that because it seemed to me that given my belief in masculine spirituality and let's say the feminine genius in this the god created male and female just like in genesis right male and female he made them i thought cynics not going deep enough so I thought of this concept of turning Simon Sinek inside out where you kind of start with, well, why do you do what you do? And then the next circle inside is how do you do it? But the real inner thing there is not why, but it's what are you? So that from that, masculine spirituality feminine genius perspective we're men right here so at the essence of what we do it's because we're men and for women the essence of what they do is because they're god created women and that's really a, a more fundamental level than even the the why that he was searching for so i think that that why was really so it was really something that was kind of neat that uh, that i thought that we stumbled on at that time that there's it's kind of like the idea of tell us right it's like yeah we're this physical body that's a great has great meaning in and of it's like the theology of the body type thing so john said so i'm just trying to i guess understand um your your kind of restructuring of that so is i think like the first question is you know why did god create us um and how as creation as creations of god how are we supposed to live and and fulfill our our um you know our duty our mission as god's creation and then you know what as that as that creation what are we supposed to to do in our in our day-to-day -day lives right um what are the things that we're being called to what you know what's our what's our vocations um what are what are we um what are we being asked to do on a day-to-day -day basis to, to, um, to glorify God's creation? 
is that is that kind of like I guess to, to better maybe summarize what you're what you're getting at in that kind of yeah research? well I I think so and and I'm I'm kind of thinking too that you're uh, you're you're hitting on that outside again it's like the, because the what of what we are like you are a a man created by God that's on your that's a you are male creature created by god my wife your wife our wives are female creatures created by god human creatures created by god so there's this fundamental essence of male and femaleness that that god has created that then what we do and why we do it kind of rolls up out of there then right so it's kind of that's kind of what i was thinking about but it is true that part then why we do what we do we know we're we're made in the image and likeness of god to to give god glory to build his kingdom all those things right yeah it's interesting i was thinking about you brought this up and you were talking about the what of the you know the telos right the man humanity i think I think it's funny because I'm I'm not funny. I I'm as I'm listening to Simon Sinek and I'm you know, reading this book and then I go on to his recent podcast where he's talking to the, the company of that manufacturer that he based that the book on Eat, Leaders Eat Last on. And he's really getting into and he's like he doesn't understand, he doesn't have the Christian notion of, you know, the fullness of like say what we do in you know the you know Catholicism, this idea of human dignity and the meaning of work, you know, what that means to us and going back to creation, right? So you know, having read this and then listening to this uh, other other interview that he had with uh, uh, Bob Chapman, that you know he he kind of takes as the kind of the the leader or kind of the, the 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 company owner that he kind of models off of this you know for this book here, right? And I'm looking at it going, yeah, I mean, if he understood creation and um, going back to Genesis and what man was made for and work and dignity, because you're seeing it's like. They're, they're so close to, you know, without saying, yeah, I mean, companies have to make money, but, you know, we have to, uh, it has to be about human dignity. I mean, it has to be about the human person. And if we're missing that, and that's really, you know, what Real Leaders Eat Last is all about, really, is getting back to dignity of the human person. You know, and you think of, um, you know, Pope John Paul and, and the writings of the church on work and labor and, uh, and all that, and we when we become cogs in a wheel of, you know, these manufacturers and what they're producing and if we're not focusing on the worker, right? So that's interesting on at least the, this part of the as second book, Leaders Eat Last, right? He's, if you get back to who we are, if you understood the nature of who we are, I think it'd be a little bit more, it'd be interesting to see his, what he would have to say about that in light of all this, but, you know, the Christian revelation and, right? I mean, when you think about we were made to work, right? And you talk about tilling and dominion and all the things we kind of do. And we're out in wilderness outreach and we're moving boulders and, and uh, you know, this subduing the earth. And if you understood that there's, it's like they're dancing around this concept of, you know, like without really saying it, you know, and I don't know his religious upbringing um, um, or the guy he interviews here, Bob Chapman, um, but it's just interesting. I'm, I'm watching them play out, have this interview. I'm going like, like the church has been covered us in Ram Navarum and, you know, and, um, and Pope John Paul's that was at Labrum. Um, uh, the Borum Exorcens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, he's, he's like, I'm like, well, everything he's saying is, we've already been saying this for, <laughs> so it's just funny. Like, you know, it's, it's, we've been saying this for years. Human dignity, solidarity, right? Yeah. Well, that's what's, that's what's kind of cool about this. So it's kind of like, what we're doing as Catholic men when we read these different things, we're kind of out there exploring around in the intellectual arena, and we're finding these things like this. It's true. I mean, everything you just said, that's pretty – and you expressed it, Michael, in a way I hadn't quite thought about, but but in a way had had but that idea that they're getting so close to this idea of the dignity of the worker in Leaders Eat Last – and the need for leaders to care for their workers in this profound way. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty darn profound, but I don't think he's anywhere close to being like a Catholic. Right. So <laughs> I'm guessing now, maybe I'm wrong about that, but. Uh, 
So Michael, you're, uh, you're Sorry unplugged there. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So he doesn't have God, he doesn't have revelation, but he has, he's taken the human body. Right. And the, and he's like, well, we got these four hormones, right? EDSO, right? As he always says. And he's like, he, that's his, that's his revelation, the human body, the science, right? He's, he likes to use that as his data, right? And it's like, okay, you're getting there, right? Oxytocin, serotonin, you know, like, uh, it's like, you know, like, yeah, okay, you're talking about design, you're using these words, you know, like, there's design, there's a designer, right? So he's kind of like, you know, where are we going with this, you know? Well, that's that's pretty interesting. So back in 2016, I had read Leaders Eat Last and uh, maybe early in 2016. So this is the year that Father Han, I let Father Han talk me into going to the Holy Land with him. We spent almost, well, I guess we spent, uh, we were gone for over two weeks. So we backpacked across Israel. That's what we did. Went over there and backpacked across Israel. And so I had just finished Leaders Eat Last. Well, before that, and I told Father Han, you got to read this book, man. It's really good. So somewhere during that trip, Father kind of said, I don't get what you like about that. <laughs> and I said, I said, it's all about the theology of the body, man. <laughs> so, which is kind of cool thinking about. So he's, you know, so he's, so cynics really, I, this really was helpful because he's saying, look, we're Neolithic people. Our brains, our nervous system, our bone structure, everything about us, we're Neolithic people. Right. And so we have these five hormones that are operating in our body that are engaging, they're they're working in our body. And I, I like to think of this like the environment speaks to us and it does certain things with the hormones. So for instance, so in the Neolithic environment, these hormones are actually working the way they're supposed to work because we have neolithic bodies so like in time of danger the cortisol is going to go into our body and it's going to like heightens alert something's wrong right and it's like okay god and it's like if we're in a tribe and it's like all of a sudden we realize hey we're we're starving to death we got to go get food. So the us group of guys are going to get together and say, we got to get a plan together. And, and you can imagine some, some, some guy was out 10 miles off from the tribe. And he said, there's a, there's a herd of mastodons, man. They're down in this box Canyon. You know, let's, let's, let's go get some, right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of protein there. We can go get them and slaughter them and come, you know, and come back and we got food. So that cortisol heightens our alert to say, we got to do something. And then, uh, then say we come together, we find out there's food, there's mastodons or a group of water buffalo, or, you know, if it's Neolithic America, there's a bunch of buffalo. So we pull together as a team, we come up with a plan. And then as we're coming up with this plan, we're visualizing, yeah, we can get this food. We're going to bring it back to the family. So all of a sudden the dopamine starts coming into our system saying, yes, good job, men keep going. So it's, it's kind of the attaboy, uh, hormone, right? So anyway, we, we get, we get our, we get our weapons, you know, there's a group of maybe 20 of us and we're running the 10 miles cause we've got to get over there. So as we're running, you know, the, again, the, the dopamine's keeping us motivated, but like we're, we you know we're stepping on stuff, we're hurting ourselves, but the endorphins are covering it up. Right. So we're hurting ourselves, but we don't even feel the pain. And then when we're running and we don't even feel the exhaustion in our bodies because the, the endorphin is, uh, is uh, uh, masking that. And it's allowing us to go. So even when we go into the battle and, and kill the buffalo and there might, one of us might go down and we might end up with guys with broken arms and gored by a horn or something, right? In that whole process, the endorphins like masking our pain. There's a guy here in Lancaster that went, uh, he's actually works at the Lowe's uh, and I call him Grizz now, but he was up in Wyoming hunting for elk with a bow. And there's this big tree, big ponderosa pine that's like 
300 feet long or maybe not that long, but 200 feet long. And it's real brushy in the area that he's in. And he, so he decides I'm going to jump up on that tree and I'll walk down it. So when he jumps up on the tree, he's walking down the tree. And at the other end where the stump was up, a grizzly bear climbs up onto the tree and comes right after him. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it kind this is a real life story, man. I know this guy, right? Works at Lowe's. The bear's coming at him and he's got a 45 pistol automatic on him. So he ends up like throwing his, his, uh, his uh, bow. He climbs under the tree and the bear's coming after him. And he literally unloads the clip into the bear. And to, and, and then he gets like the bear, like digs into his, uh, his thigh. Right. And like rips his like puts a great big gas. So lucky he didn't hit this big bleeder in his thigh. Somehow the bear runs away, but he ends up running. So his car and this other guy, they run like five miles after that happened. He did. I said, he said, I never even felt any pain the whole time. It's just like, so that was his endorphins, right? It was kicked in on a natural level. And, but anyway, if you kind of follow that through when let's say we, as this team of men, we, we get all, we get, we get our litters together. We slaughter the beef or the, the Buffalo and we haul it back into the, into the camp. What happens is the people are the people in our tribe. Look at us coming in with all this food, which is going to save the tribe. And they get this feeling of awe and thankfulness. And that's the oxytocin that's in their bodies. And, and then what happens in, in that same process is that we, as the men who are in that try, who are in the team, right? We see the awe that, uh, that the, um, that the, the people in the tribe have for us and it, and, and, it, and then we start to pump serotonin into our bodies and, it's Matthews there, but anyway, we end up getting serotonin pumped into our bodies, which is what Cynic calls the leadership hormone. So what it does to us is it makes us want to do it again, to lay our lives down again for our family, right? Which is, is really kind of cool. Yeah, it's interesting how he, he really brings up this idea of sacrifice, you know, like leaders, leaders have to sacrifice it. And like people depend on you to sacrifice your life, right? I mean, he's kind of like, we trust you. We put, you know, he goes through this whole thing about like, yeah, you get your first choice of mate, your first choice of cut of meat, you know, you, you get the best lodging because ultimately we want you to sacrifice your life if it, if it, if it calls to that, right? So it's interesting from his it's a lot of this language of sacrifice for leaders, you know, leaders should be, you know, looking and that, and, you know, turns like, yeah, we, we give you all the stuff so you can ultimately sacrifice your life, you know, uh, when, it, when that time comes, you know, otherwise, and, you know, we talk about, you know, these leaders and these organizations who don't sacrifice, right. They take their first choice of office and with the mini tiles, you know, <laughs> you know, the big office and the, you know, and all this other, you know, uh, perks you know, that kind of come with the job, but with the idea that, you know, never with the idea, at least in, in common America, that, that, uh, yeah. So anyway, this here, what, what happened? It seems like this human body of ours works pretty darn well. Yeah. So why not now? Mm. I mean, well, what do you mean by that? It's not working very well right now. And that's what I think cynics arriving to, right? So we have this Neolithic body, this, mm -hmm. the theology of our body is Neolithic. All the hormones are, are work well in a Neolithic environment, but men, thanks guys. Cause you're all to blame for this. And this is why it's so true that uh, if we go back to the garden of Eden, that sin came into the world because of the failure of a man, right? So we've created a new environment that's not Neolithic. It kind of ties into that book that you were talking about, Michael, the comfort crisis, right? 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. Right. We, we, uh, in the book cover crafts, it talks about how we just kept on getting more comfortable and more comfortable. We keep on moving that bar about like soon comfortable is not comfortable enough. And we keep on moving it, you know, and I think this kind of plays into perks and the lack of what it means to sacrifice nowadays, the meaning of sacrifices, not even part of our vernacular hardly. Right. What it means to. Well, yes. And this, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, so Cynic says that, you know, we've created this now this supernat well, supernatural environment where we're uh, and it's, you know, a lot of the fault lies with the, these tech guys, you know, they keep doing all this tech work. So <laughs> there. Yeah. OK, Andrew. That's true over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it was interesting, the whole concept of of like becoming too com uh, comfortable, right, or, or just having too much comfort around. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen like the most recent releases of of different AI systems that have been released uh, within the last like two weeks or, you know, the fusion energy uh, technology breakthrough. What is that going to do? I was actually just having a conversation with a coworker on this topic about what is that going to influence us to be maybe, um, you know, have less have less. Uh, uh, um, uh, what sort of before uh, have less um, strife in our lives. Right. So. To a point where we really don't need to want to, you know, to, to, to go produce food and all those things because things would just be so limitless in the future. Um, so it's a it's very interesting thought exercise as we start to, you know, have technology that is really going to give us that capability here in the very near term. Yeah, I mean, that's a scary idea. I think it's Tower of the Babel type stuff, right? Yeah. Tower of Babel type stuff. I mean, it's like it's we're running contrary because I think the, you know, um, we as Catholic men know that there's no such thing as uh, we're not going to progress towards heaven by some man, man built needs. Right. But that seems to be what we're reaching to do. Yeah. Well, right. To get away from the toil and the hardships of, of just working. Right. There's a lot of, you know, just getting away from just, you know, the, again, the comfort crisis brings us out. I mean, we're just we're going down this path of uh, becoming less human. Right. I mean, less work, our muscles are atrophying. I mean, we're our brains are we're not even critical thinking anymore, right? I mean, we're just uh we're yeah, uh, yep. But yet, you know, but yet somehow we're we're smarter now than we were back then. <laughs> you know, that that's yeah, I know you, you're saying that with a with a grin on your face because you, you actually so I, I read this thing written by some guy out of stanford that makes him that, that gives him credibility right if he's from stanford he's got to know something absolutely right so he said that he's determined that the apex of the human race's iq was about the year zero and we've been getting dumber ever since and i actually kind of believe that right it's like i mean if you think about that at the time of christ was before the industrial revolution I mean, the Romans had been doing some things, right? So, I mean, they had you know, they built aqueducts, so we're like right on the verge of the Industrial Revolution in a sense, and and that's when when you know we were at that optimum point where the the environment and our brains were interacting in a way that was trying to do the best that we could do, right? As an optimum, so yeah, so. Senate goes on to talk about that the, the problem then with this this environment is that he actually calls it so this what was this the book again Peter that that Mike was talking about about comfort the comfort crisis yeah so I'm not sure so who that's by Senate Senate calls this problem we got today destructive abundance I think that's powerful hmm. sounding right I mean it's like yeah. It's the same. It's like, that's the crisis. I mean, we've created so much stuff and our bodies are after after like you said. And then we're just like, this is not good for us. It's not good for us physically, spiritually, intellectually, because we're not being challenged in a sense is enough. Emotionally, too. I think our emotional intelligence, like as a society at a whole, is just in the dumps, man. I mean, we're so disconnected from what it is to be a human. You know, mm. we're always like constantly scrolling, looking for the next new thing. And like people walk from room to room in their house <laughs> looking at their phone. You know, I mean, I do it. I'm making a protein shake. I got to, you know what I mean? I got to go do something in the other room. I'm staring at my phone. 
forget what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> Just... I, I think that's ultimately resulted in us not spending enough time focusing on, on the details of our lives, right? And, and oftentimes we overlook some of those really important details because we're so distracted by a million different things mm. in the moment. And um, I think there, there's a point where you really have to like, you have to be conscious of it and like tell yourself, no, I'm not going to allow myself to, to do 10 things at one time. It's unnecessary, mm. right? I need to, I need to do this one thing really well uh, because it's important and the details mm. are important to my, to my life. Mm -hmm. What I, what I found interesting is, you know, Simic uh, Simic is, um, he's having an interview with that Bob Chapman and his company. And one of the things he's talking about in, you know, the company that's obviously featured in this book here is that he's trying to, with his employees is, you know, listening, right? He's like, this, um, this seems to be a common theme of the ability to listen and understand and just, and this is something that technology kind of takes away from us is the ability to understand the other, right? We're just so distracted that the ability just to sit and concentrate and think about and actually understand what the other person is saying is something we're getting away from, right? And you know, all these communication courses on talking and communicating, but very rarely on listening. And so, and that's something that's very human to us, you know, that we need in, in terms of validation. So I, that was interesting that that he doesn't talk about that a lot in the book here, but in the interview on this podcast, Simon Sinek's podcast, he, the guy's like, yeah, it's all about listening. And then there's that, and this world is getting away from that. Hmm. And that's something that's very human. It's something we need. We need to be able to listen and to be understood and to be seen and be heard. Right. Yeah. I, I got to re reflect back to our past weekend here, Andrew. I, that was pretty darn cool sitting around the campfire. Right. It was, I mean, for, for basically two nights and at night number one, you know, we were up till midnight talking. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even realize how late it was. On, and on our, that. our conversation was focused, mm -hmm. right? We were really focused and listening and nobody was looking at a phone. We we're just sitting around the campfire, yeah. you know, till midnight on Friday night. And then, then Saturday it was a little more relaxed, but it was still like, it was pretty cool that, uh, that Chase Stalford and his son came out there. For sure. Yeah, I thought that was, that was awesome. And for his son to see, you know, us men together and working towards, you know, completing the, the task at hand, right? And yeah, a physical help. task, right? Yeah. And we're sitting around talking about God and being God being in our lives and how we're, you know, just things that, how we're struggling about certain things. And it was, yeah, I mean, that's a very peculiar situation, I think, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the beauty of wilderness outreach, right? I mean, you get out, you get away from, you know, you get out in nature, and nature, you know, God's this this kingdom that this world that God's created for us, and we're it just alive enlivens us and opens us up, right? And 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 the ways that AI can't do, right? <laughs> <laughs> That is, that is crazy. Like, so Matt, Matthew, you're, you, you mentioned something. No, I wasn't aware of these new innovations other than fusion. I saw a little bit about fusion energy and stuff, but that is kind of a, uh, you know, you gotta wonder where the, the point, the breaking point is, is what I keep thinking. And, and like once a year I read revelations and, and, and Revelation is such a, you know, the apocalypse. It's such a insightful book, you know, and it's kind of like there's a phrase in there where it's like, uh, you know, when the uh, the the uh, ten horned or eight horned monster comes up out of the earth and basically slaughters the whore of Babylon. And it says in there that the merchants of the world stood back and looked on with awe. So, you know, these, the, us men, the guys that are creating all this stuff, which is pretty crazy, you know, we're, we're like giving, we're giving an environment for the, the, uh, the seven horned beast to, to come into existence almost, I think. So it's, yeah. But we'll be too busy. We'll be too busy. Though. We'll be too distracted. All these things are interconnected. They're interwoven. Right. Um, and, and eventually there is going to come. I think there's going to come a point where they do meet. And then what are we going to do in that 
at that point. Um, because yeah, it we're so distracted. Do, <laughs> or you could argue maybe we don't even see it happening, right? Because we're we're so distracted from the from those details of the the things happening around us. Um, but yeah. yeah. So 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 I got a I got a little beef with uh, Simon Sinek, by the way. And I I and actually there's there's a a a, a lady friend by the name of Lori. Maybe she's listening to us tonight. But she sent me that that uh, interview, a copy of that interview that Sinek did with what was the guy's name again? You're muted, Mike. Sorry, Bob Chapman. Yeah. So I I read that. And I immediately found some things I was like, I don't like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm a disagreeable sort of guy. So, you know. no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, uh, but anyway, Cynic uh, tees off on Jack Welch in the book. And so, one of the things I thought about, well, this is what this is how I see one of Cynic's faults. He's talking about, well, leadership is creating this environment where people feel safe. I mean, that's like his primary, he's almost saying being safe is the primary is creating an environment where employees are safe is that's the, the fundamental thing that leaders should be doing. And I'm thinking that's just so much horse manure, right? <laughs> Cause I think that's a problem. People are too darn safe. I think we got to get out on the edge and be yeah. dangerous, right? That's where we need to be. So I think, but I think that cynics kind of shown his millennial roots. I don't mean to offend anybody here. <laughs> it's, it's like I'm this old, old school baby. Be, care, movie, be careful, right? John. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I, I know I'm far enough away that you guys can't. I'm going to call somebody. Here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, the, but, but cynic, like, so he says Jack Welch was mean and, and people in that organization were unhappy and all this. And I'm thinking, Man, that's not the way I read it because, like, as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, he's the guy that kind of came in and turned GE around from a big dough, doughboy organization that couldn't do anything right. And he came in there and basically, like, no, we're getting rid of all this fat and we're going to get to work, right? And he had, a, he had this thing called workout that he instituted. And I, I know a, a guy that worked in the GE light bulb factory right down here in Logan, Ohio. And he was a Jack Welch guy. And he went, he went and trained with Jack Welch's core team. And, uh, uh, but anyway, he had this thing called workout where he, he had, he sent his engineers into these factories and they went down on the factory floor and talked to the guys on the factory floor and said, what's going on that's right and what's going on that's wrong we want to know and so they'd talk to the guy the blue collar guys on the floor and then they they would go about enacting their because these guys knew what was wrong with the processes and the, just the fact that they were engaged created all kind of interest all of a sudden in working for ge again and it was kind of what the, the other story about that is when these guys would enter into these factories the middle management in the factories would try to block them. You can't do this. And they'd say, we're, we're from Jack Welch. Yeah, we can. And as soon as they set, sensed any resistance, Jack Welch said, fire them right on the spot. Tell them to go, go get, get their stuff out of their desk and leave right now. So he was like merciless, right? But at the same time, his boardroom was a fist fight. So he he didn't he didn't stand he didn't want any weaklings in his boardroom he wanted men that would go toe to toe with him and fight it out because he knew that was where the best result was going to come I don't want yes men in my boardroom I want guys that are going to fight with me yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I mean arguably that's what Cynic is kind of saying too I mean uh, not to, uh, to to kind of disagree with you a little bit I mean I think he's saying that you know. Uh, he wants to find people should have a voice, right? So he's kind of getting to this place of like, people should be engaged and not engaged, right? And so he, he's saying that we're living in a climate where people are just cogs in a wheel and they're being forgotten about. And so he, he's kind of, to me, I've kind of seen where he's, he's kind of getting back to this. And it kind of goes back to, you know, the gospel or the, the gospel of work, right? Going back to this idea of like, if when man is not engaged in the work, it ceases to be meaningful and it ceases to give him dignity. Right. And I think maybe you can see that, but Jack, Jack Welch is like, okay, the middle management, they're gotten lazy and fat and they've, they've got, 
you know, they get to this perch in life where you kind of go, Hey, I'm, I'm good. I've kind of rested my laurels and are like, and they don't improve things. Like we're good with status quo. Right. And I, I think that Seneca is saying, you know, when he, he's, he, I guess for me, I see it as he's trying to bring dignity. I mean, I guess you could look at it as, you know, give me safe space and my yoga room and my, uh, <laughs> my bubble tea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there's also an element it, it it's contextual as well. So I look at, you know, what Welch did in, in general electric, um, you know, the, the situation there required a particular leadership style. And I think he understood the, the importance of, if I'm going to turn this thing around, I've got to have people who are on the same side as me, right? They have, we all have to be working and marching in the same direction. Um, and so, you know, and then we, we look at the situation today, right. And, in, in, you know, the context of today's workforce and everything that, that we're contending with, there, there's a certain, there's certain elements there that we, you know, we know are dangerous, right? And some of the stuff that I think Cynic's promoting here can eventually lead to really dangerous practices in the organization. Um, and so I, I think, you know, maybe it's it's striking the right balance of what are you know, in in the right in the right context, um, and the situation to ensure that um, you know you're you're leading in the appropriate manner using the appropriate tactics um and you know ultimately i think i think that that's what it's going to boil down to so yeah i mean i guess it's interesting because you kind of look at is it about money i mean jack welch was it about money right well part of it yeah i mean that was a big part of it for sure (laughs) i mean i know we kind of look i don't think it was just that i don't think it was just money um, I mean, people say, yeah, the whole purpose of business is to make money. And Cynic and this uh, Bob Chapman would say, well, it's about people, right? It's about, and that's, I would, I mean, I would argue the church's teaching is, it's like work is a, it's, it's not, um, it's something we have to do, required to do, or we're called to do. Um, but ultimately always having the worker at the center of it all, right? You know, and his dignity. And when the work seems to be more important than the worker, then we're, we're, we're in the wrong place. So that's where I kind of say Cynic is, is kind of speaking to that, but he doesn't have the language to speak mm-hmm. to it from the, from the, yeah. But you're right. So, I mean, we live in a generation where we're like, no, I, I find myself at work, right. Going, I, I want to put a boot in people's rear and like, Hey, like, <laughs> like stop drinking your coffee. We got work to do. You know, it's just no more water cooler, like Kumbaya. We got to, yeah. Come on, get your hands in the plow. Let's go. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's part of me. It's like, an, I don't remember me just being a Generation X guy. I'm, I'm two years off of being a millennial. <laughs> it changes every year. That that millennial line changes every year. I think. <clears throat> but it's like, I feel like it's like, yeah, we live in a generation that just kind of wants to sit around and be kind of. And then on in my in my field, which I kind of live in this hybrid right tech world. It's you know blue collar, white collar, kind of work, right? But. Yeah. Yeah, Senek does more or less conclude, so I'll cut him some slack here, I guess. You guys are kowtowing me a bit, so. (laughs) Senek says that it is the job of leadership to build organizational environments where people can flourish, and I do agree with that, where they can be creative, right? The the, one of the problems is, is that, yeah, it's, it's lacking that, Catholic anthropology. So it's almost there, right? It's almost it's almost got the Catholic anthropology, but lacking that where we really know that God created this male and female. And that's sort of at the core of our dignity, you know, in the image of God, in the image of Jesus. So that's you know, that's what's really key there. Then 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 we can figure out, okay, how far do, down this road do you want to go? You know, how, how many vaccines do we want to take and how many chips do we want to get put in our brains, right? So, <laughs> so. so you got to create that safe space, right? We got to be, we got to feel safe at work, right? <laughs> right. That's right. what Cynic wants, right? <laughs> it's about, it's about the other people. Okay. So. <laughs> All right, men. Well, great. Hey, we've been at it for a little over an hour. It's great to see 
Matthew show up and join us. We're going to have to get him in here. So I, we're going to continue with our leadership conversation. So next week, I'm going to say a phrase and you tell me who we're going to talk about. You need to embrace the suck. <laughs> I don't that's, know who said that, unfortunately. That's Jocko. I, is it Jocko Willick? Yeah. Jocko Willick, great. That predates Jocko. That's definitely Marine Corps, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. Okay, I got you. So anyway, but we're going to talk about uh, extreme ownership, you know, the concept of extreme ownership. And where we're heading to with this, as we, you know, we've talked about Jordan Peterson. We talked about uh, Stephen Covey. We've talked about um, Peter Singy. And tonight, Simon Sinek. And so, as you can kind of see, we're like pulling in these different leadership type guys, right? And I and what we're building towards is we're going to start to see that they all have a common thread. There's a some there's a core in there, a common core in there that we're starting to define as we talk about that. And uh We'll call that the perennial philosophy of leadership. So as we go through this, we'll end up defining that. We'll spend, a, we'll spend an evening talking about what are all these basic principles then. And, and also that to be true leaders, we have to be anchored in the, the Catholic faith. Amen, brothers? Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, just to give you an idea what's happening Saturday, I'm sure that's why Matthew's in town. We're going to go down to, to Clear Creek and, and hammer down like 10, 12 miles for Advent hike, 8 a.m. at Clear Creek. And, Unfortunately, uh, John, we've got our family Christmas, Christmas party, party Saturday. So that's why Matt's here. He just oh, got in town. Darn it. I thought, gee, okay, well, that's... <laughs> No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I just, maybe, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah, there you go. Well, I know, and I know how much you like to camping. Really cold weather, so I'm thinking about doing a winter camp, maybe in the middle of January. You know, and we'll, here we go. Let's do it. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we're doing the Advent hike, and uh, trying to think what else. We have some other things going up. Uh, coming up into the future, we're going to do three expeditions next summer. Of course. Um, uh, we have Carry the Cross on Holy Saturday, which is somewhere in the first week or two of April this year. So we'll do that. We'll do that nice hike, that 12-mile hike for that one. So uh, so anyway, uh, let's see. Michael, why don't you say a prayer for us and for and anybody who's listening to us run over there to youtube and hit the like button and wherever else that you're listening to us and thanks for tuning in and uh so so michael how about a prayer all right and father and son holy spirit lord we thank you for this time we thank you for the gift of our brothers we thank you for the gift of life and all that you've revealed to us and and the, and the theology of the body and what you've called us to as men and as protectors and as providers. In your holy name we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. St. Joseph, pray for us. Pray for us.